You're listening to the Summer Friends Podcast. Hey everyone, it's been a spell. I've been busy, you've been busy. We haven't had much time to catch up, but let's put an end to that today. My hope is that I'll be uploading some more episodes more regularly going forward and I won't have to skip like three or four months in between. But let's be honest with each other, I make no promises. We're in the middle of getting ready for the Jackson Street Community Garden season and finishing up the Education Resource Center at the Brighton Street Green Space. We are accepting applications for new children's director at State Street Community Church. And I don't know if you've noticed, it's Lent. It's one of the two seasons of the year where pastors actually have to work. But I love having these conversations and I've loved hearing from those of you who listen and enjoy them. It means a ton that I'm not just producing them for no reason or just for my benefit, that other people enjoy them. So I will work harder at getting more episodes out in the future. Joining me today is my friend, Ben Konowitz. Ben is the owner of a small business and a local do-gooder. He started a charity, Big Comedy Laporte, that hosts comedy events and that gives the proceeds to local organizations. Ben and I have been friends for many years. And what I love most about Ben is that even though we don't agree on religion and maybe even every cultural issue, I know Ben believes in the good work that happens at State Street and the PAC Center like I believe in what he does. Friendship does not require that we agree on everything. In today's episode, we talk about what he has learned as a young entrepreneur and business leader in Laporte, what motivates his charitable impulses, and Saturday Night Live. We both could talk hours about our love for Saturday Night Live. So I hope you enjoy meeting Ben Conowitz. He's a good dude and he's my friend. And I hope you'll consider him your summer friend. Do you know when we met? Uh, I think you and I met. Did we meet through the Kirks? Nope. Before that. Before that? Uh, Was I mean to you? No. Okay, good. So, because I don't remember. No, I do remember you being, um, so I think we were about 13. Okay. And your Uncle Jim uh, and Aunt Becky and Kristen had a, um, like a party at their house. It was like a hayride. Okay. And you must have gotten invited because sure, obviously- because I'm a cousin. You're you know. a cousin. You're a Conowitz and uh, Becky's a Conowitz, right? Becky's a Conowitz, yes. Now a Pressel. Um, and you were there. But I remember you because it's hard to forget you even when you were 13. Um, and I remember that guy has so much energy. <laughs> and you know what? It has not. There's, there's been no <laughs> shutting it down. It's just, it's, I can't, I can't stop myself. <laughs> it still goes today. I can't. There's been nothing. No slowdown. There's a word. Slowdown. Do you wake up energetic? It takes me five minutes in the morning. Okay. And then once, once I'm up and actually out of bed, like in bed is the downtime. I'm the first, you can screw yourself day. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then as soon as the feet hit the floor, it's really hard for me to shut the brain off. So it's, it's constant from there. Are you an early to bed person or no, like, uh, do you wear out easy or? So my, my mom back in the day, she doesn't remember saying this, but I brought it up to her the other day. I was like, when I was a kid, she would say, you know, especially in high school and college, she'd say, you're burning the candle at both ends. And when you do that, there's not much candle left. And because I knew the phrase burning the candle at both ends, but then she reminded me that because of that, it has, you're, it, yeah. there's a consequence, you yeah. know, there's less of a candle bin and I still have plenty of candle for now. And I, cause I am, I'm, you know, 11 and 12 o'clock and then I'm up at six, you know, 
Uh, so six hours of sleep a night, pretty much normally. Now, do you hit that? Because I, I, I'm kind of the same way. I got, I got that rhythm too. I stay up too late. I get up early, um, early as I can. Anyway, not super early. You have these insane people like, oh, you get up early too. I get up at three thirty to right. go work out. That's dumb. No, nope, not nope, doing that. Not doing that. I try to keep on going as well, but I do sometimes get tired around like two to four in the afternoon. It, I, I am a, I am a twenty minute napper. Yep. I can easily get. Yep. Like lay down, shut my eyes and then pass the hell out and then wake back up in 20 minutes. Do you give yourself the permission to do that? Or because yes. for me, I want to, but then like my dad's voice is ringing in me. Like you're so lazy. People die in bed. <laughs> People die in bed. And uh, one time I was in college and I was resting. This is a story I tell my friends. I, for, full disclosure, I love my father and he is a very funny person. I get a lot of my personality from him. Yeah. Can we say that just going, cause we're probably both going to talk about our dads and, um, <laughs> Uh, yes, but <laughs> like, we love our dad. The disclaimer is that he's made me into the man that I'm today, and I'm very proud of who I am. So thanks, Tim Conowitz. Um, that said. That being said, <laughs> one time I was home from college, laying in, in my uh, high school bed, and I was watching TV, and the remote was rising and falling on my stomach as I was breathing. And I was just being lazy, just laying there. And it was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And my dad walks in eating a yogurt, just got back from like a freaking run or something. He's very in shape. And he just leans, and he goes, <clears throat> like a goddamn beached whale. And he <laughs> took a bite of yogurt, and he walked away. That's the, that was the statement of the day from Tim Conowitz. And I was like, what did I do to you? So does he say that as like a, a like, hey, I'm going to be funny and make this comment? Or is this like internal Tim Conowitz coming out? This is I don't know how to tell Ben that I think he should get up and go exercise. So I'll just make a comment and maybe it'll register. Yeah. Because yeah. when I was a kid, he would tell me things directly and I would not listen. And so over the years, it's just become, well, well. Get ready for the comments because that's all you got left, Ben. I remember you also played basketball. Yeah, um, that was I had. My I didn't go to Laporte, but we were still friends. Also, yeah. we worked at Albano's. With that, that's see, that's what I remember. It was either Kerry Kirk and I were friends back at Albano's, yep. and I knew you know you guys are still yep. close. Um, but yeah, that, the Albano's crew was pretty, yeah. pretty. We were thick as thieves back. Yeah, then. Yeah, we were very close. Uh, we had a lot of good friends, and we we also just seemed to work fairly often yeah. um, for teenagers, but, yeah. um, <laughs> which I don't that's think true. kids do. I, I'm gonna be one of those old guys. Right. I just don't think the kids do that anymore, but it, it was a fun job. That was my favorite job that I ever had growing up. I mean, it was, we really, really had a good time. I don't, yeah. I never remember thinking I can't, ugh, I don't want to go to work. Yeah. I was like, I could, cause there was a up. social aspect to it there too. Really We're going to have fun. Yep. You know, totally. And we made Jim Albano a lot of money, Jim. So, you know, anytime, you, anytime you need gutters, just give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> so you play basketball, yes. any other sport? I played tennis my freshman year, believe it or not. No, you know, I don't. Oh, uh, yeah. I was not good, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, I do believe that. Okay, cool, cool. We're back to full circle there. No, I was t I was not very good at tennis. Um, yeah, but I played tennis my freshman year, and then I really devoted myself to basketball. I really wanted to be – I was not very good. I was going to say, would you consider yourself a, a good basketball no. player? Because you were also – you worked hard. You were big. Yeah, um, I, I was know, not. You were 6'4", or whatever. I was, I was not very very um, good at basketball at all. But I, you, I think you started, though, didn't you? I filled in when like somebody got, I was six man. Okay. Uh, senior year. And so that was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun though. I just remember having such a good time. And you know, when your teammates with Steve Draven, I mean, if you're, if you're in LaPorte and you're listening to this, you probably know who Steve Draven is because mm -hmm. he was a fantastic person and an even, uh, uh not an even better basketball player, but <laughs> no, he was a great basketball player and even better person. Uh, and he, he's just being on a team with him was incredible. 
did you love the sport or I did you it. just want to be around people? I love I love the sport. I and I, to this day I love it. I watch college, I watch uh, NBA still. I'm still a huge NBA fan. Do you still play it all or no? Uh, not at all. I mean, I'm I'm believe it or not, I am 330 pounds, Nate Lauks. I don't believe I it. I graduated high school at 205. So that's that's not a good thing, but uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm uh is it the voice of your dad ringing in your head again? Probably like, yeah, yeah I got beached whale. <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know, uh, I go, th- I used to go through phases where I'd drop 50 pounds in Me like too. three weeks. Me too. And yep. then be like, that was easy. I just, well, I can do that whenever I want. So I'll just get back. Yeah, and, you know, I fluctuate quite a bit. I am current. My current mood is uh, I'm focusing on everything other than taking care of myself. And I know that that is not healthy long-term that is not sustainable, but currently it's working. Does it ever bother you? Cause it bothers me when I go through there. Cause I do, I do, I actually very similar. I can go through seasons where I just got a lot of other stuff to focus on and worry about, but in the back of my head, I, I still don't love that I'm gaining weight or I'm doing like, does that bother you ever? Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, it screws you your psyche because you wake up and, uh, and you know, I'll, like I'll be, I'll tie my shoes and then I'll, I'll sit up real quick. I'm like, Oh shit. Did I really, is my really out of breath tying my damn shoes? Like, Oh, you know, there, Kevin James has a, a I'm not a huge fan of his comedy. Hey, you don't have to apologize for Kevin James. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm putting that out there, don't, but don't he, ha- he has a great stand up bit where he says, uh, you know, I sweat no matter what. Cause I'm a big guy. I sweat all the time under my armpits, nowhere else. I'll shake your hand, cold, you know, calm, fine, fun, whatever. At the mayor's ball the other night, uh, people walked up and were like, are you okay? Like it was that bad through a gray shirt. And I forgot I was wearing a gray shirt, but Kevin James, and you're not like detoxing from heavy yeah, drugs. either. No. Just- Believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Kevin James has this bit of like, uh, Oh my God, are you sweating? Why did you just go work out? He's like, uh, I know I was, uh, I peeled an orange and I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel that way sometimes. And so, yeah, it does. It screws with your head because you know, you want to be, I know that I'd be able to get a lot more done and I'd be more pro- proactive and produ- productive if I, uh, if I, if I dropped some pounds, but right now it's just, man, I'm, I'm still go, 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 go all the time. And, you know, finding that hour for the gym and finding that hour for the cooking is, uh, you know, on the back of a burner right now. Well, here's my thing. Like my dad and he, he's, oh, your dad's sick. such, he's crazy in shape. Yeah. No, no, no. He's crazy in shape. My brother, loves it. I just don't like the gym. I just don't like, I don't. I go because I need to, like if I go, I, I don't go for the record. <laughs> I want that to be on record. I don't go. But I have had like seasons where I go. And I go because because there's a goal, like I, I want to lose weight or, right. you know, I don't want to like die of a heart attack at 45. Right. You know, because we're, we're big, we're tall, yeah. we, you know, statistically, you know, yeah, we're, we're tall uh, enough, we're, we're going like to die. The, like the Mastiff brand rather yeah. than the Toy Poodle. Yeah. And those, they, they don't last forever. Nope. Also, I've never seen a, I don't really see too many super obese, you know, 80 year olds out there. No, no, you really the do. Thing. You really do. So don't. like I do it because I, I think of that. Like I don't see a lot of really tall people that are living long. And I, I, I kind of, I like life. I yeah. really do. I, I got a good family. I'm you're how tall are you? I'm six five. I'm six two. Okay. So in in when I see people that are your your height or higher, higher, taller, and they're older, 60s, 70s, that's one thing. But even in their late 40s, early 50s, mm-hmm. I, I meet 13, 14 people a day sometimes out doing estimates for for the gutter business. And when I meet a tall person and you can tell they have a nice house, they probably went to college and played basketball or something. And but this guy's a, was an investment banker and now he's kind of retired. He's 52 and he's limping or he's yep. stooped yep. when he's walking because yep. he's six six and he just he just is over it. His body is over it. And I understand that even though I'm not that tall, you know, 10 years from now, I'm going to be limping myself if I don't yeah. start doing something. Yeah. No. So I'm, I'm with you. What yeah. I'm saying is I don't stand in condemnation. I am with you. <laughs> and I'm trying you look to, good. You look good. I, Cause I'm in that season you where I, I did lose 30 pounds because I, you know, mm-hmm. cause I just do like a mental thing where yeah. I'm not going to eat <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. and I limit myself to 1200 calories and 
then what's going to happen is I'm going to have a, like a depressing day and all I'm going to want is donuts. Right. Turn and the it's going to open back up and yeah. I'll, I'll gain 30 pounds in a month, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's, so I don't think get rid not, of my fat clothes. Yeah. The, oh, I stopped doing that a long time ago. No. <laughs> so, but you know what I'm still doing? I still have all my skinny clothes. I've still got like 250 pound Ben clothes uh-huh. and I'm still like, I'm not throwing those away because I'm getting back there someday. We'll see. <laughs> And it's like new clothes when you do that. Exactly. Oh, yeah, man. Did you know that uh, 2004 fashions are going to be well in session again someday? <laughs> you got your like starter jacket that you're wearing again from high school. Absolutely. Did you guys, uh, did you notice my new boss sweatshirt and my uh, my size 32 Jinko jeans? <laughs> Bum. Instead of my 46s or whatever I'm in. I don't know. So oh, boy. Uh, what did you want to be? Like you went to Indiana University. Uh, you majored in psychology. You did your research on me? What are you doing? Are, are you just stalking me on Facebook? No, I'm not on Facebook. I've only got the page on Facebook. Ah. I'm not on. So, no, Good I actually you. did Google you and I, and I know you well. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know you. I did know you went to IU. I did not know you majored in psychology. Correct. Yeah. Why did you do that? Uh, Mr. Morrill was a teacher in high school and he was a psychology teacher and I took that class and I loved it. And so I thought, you know, that's the only thing I could remember from high school like being in class and loving uh, because it was about people and it was about talking mm-hmm. to people and, and finding, finding out why people do the way they things that they do. And I was really interested in it. So I, I was like, screw it. I'll just try that. Did you kind of not know exactly what you wanted to be when up until I was, I think 24, I wanted to be a police officer more than anything. I thought that that was my calling in life was to be a cop. And I tried out for Indiana state police. I tried out for the Vegas PD. Um, I tried out for Laporte uh, at a certain point, but I got a DUI uh, back in the day and I'm not proud of it, but it happened and it's out there and I definitely learned my lesson, but I was young and young and stupid and I just made a mistake. And, um, you know, I knew that that would probably was going to hurt my chances of uh, being a freaking law enforcement officer. And that's, that's, I still tried after just to see if I was still going to be able to do it, but obviously not in the cards uh, because I made a mistake and I have to own up to that for sure. Yeah. It was crazy. I was in high school and I didn't really care. And I had gotten, I was under a B average. I was, I was a C student for sure. Um, senioritis hit me when I was like a sophomore, like <laughs> ridiculous. So then I, I tried to get into IU, couldn't make it. I had to go to IUPUI to try to, uh, to, uh, you know, get to IU eventually. And I made the Dean's list my first semester because I was like, well, this is real life. You got to start doing stuff. And so once you actually go to class, Nate, it's really not that hard. I was asked to give a, a talk at Rolling Prairie High School uh, with some other people last R- year. Rolling Prairie High School closed in like 1955. Sorry, what was it called? New Prairie? Yeah, it's oh, New whatever, Prairie. Whatever, Nate. Hey, some of us went there. I forgot you did go there. So I was asked to talk to you know a class about what I do, and uh, they didn't like that I was saying, um, you know what, when you get to college and if you're going to go, uh, just show up, and, I'll, and no matter what, if you go to every class, you'll get a B. I don't care. It's impossible not to get a B if you literally just go to every class. You don't have to do anything else. Just go to the classes. And the teachers don't like when you tell them that, but it's honest. It's you, you go and you'll, you retain the information and you'll pass the classes. I figured that part out. <laughs> and I got all A's when I was at IUPUI. Then I transferred IU. Uh, you got my degree in uh, my bachelor of science in uh, psychology and then uh, tried to be a cop, uh, made my mistakes and uh, moved out to California after that. Went to, uh, I worked for U.S. Steel for a month and a half. How was that? The worst job ever, Nate. It's what what did you do there? I was on top of the Coke ovens, which is the 2,700 degree ovens that they dump the coal So in. like sweaty McSweaterson's in his it, like hell. It was the worst thing. And I can't believe people do that for a living. I have so much respect for people that do that for a living. In the training class, which is one, like one mile away from the actual burners and all this stuff, it's, you look up at the ceiling, there's still soot 
on the vent intakes. So you're like, you're breathing that a mile away. So what do you think these people at the plant are breathing? Mm -hmm. And this guy uh, named Harry Coleman was my training guy. And he said, he was this big black dude, six, eight, probably. And, you know, stooped when he walked and had trouble uh, talking sometimes. Somebody in class said, Hey, Harry, you, you know, you're what, 65? You've been here doing this all your life. Are, Are any of your friends from back in the day, are they sick? Oh, oh no, they're not. They're not sick. They're all dead. Okay, well, this is not really for me, and I need to find another option. So after about a month and a half of being up on the Coke battery and sweating my butt off, I quit without another job. And my dad, of course, back of your head, you don't quit without having something else lined up, damn it. Uh, But I just tucked tail, and I I moved out to California with a buddy of mine from IU that uh, needed a roommate. And I got into, that's when I landed my first sales job. And I kind of found, you know, oh, hey, you're good at talking to people. So that's sales. And the rest is kind of like, history as far as like what I knew that I was good at and, and had fun doing because sales doesn't have to be a scam. I think that's the biggest thing. Like a, a good sale is when, you know, the person's happy with the product and the price that they paid and you're happy that you sold it to them. It's, that's okay. You know, it doesn't have to be you lost and I won. That's if you're looking at sales like that, I think I feel sorry for you. You graduated uh, college in 04, 05. Uh, so I was a five and a half year student. I was a five year. So you're good. So yeah, 2006. I took a victory that. Yep. And you went out to California. How long were you in California for? From 2007 to 10. So I think uh, three, about three and a half years. And what'd you do out there? Uh, I sold, sold, sold. I sold everything. I sold uh, cable subscriptions. I sold uh, for a law firm. I sold, which I found out later, you're not allowed to be a salesperson at a law firm. I didn't know that at the time. Uh, I was hired to like sell services for, for like literally law service. But if you're not a lawyer, you can't do that. So were you just trying to essentially put together enough income just to live in California? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You it was never going to happen. <laughs> I yeah. mean, unless you're literally making $200,000 a year, you can't do anything other than live with other people and, and, and have like seven roommates in absolutely three bedroom apartment. Yeah, yeah. It was terrible. I finally realized that I couldn't make it out there. And cause my goal was, I just wanted to have a house and some land yeah. and, you know, and, and not, I'm sorry, a wife and a kids were never my thing. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to have my own space and a dog that just couldn't happen out there. I couldn't keep my, you couldn't even keep my head above water, you know? So it was finally like, well, I'm going to go back home. But I honestly never looked at it like, oh, well, got to go back to LaPorte. I missed it. I missed my friends. I missed the area. I missed everything. LaPorte is freaking awesome. They're so close to everything. There's so much to do if you look. Uh, Did you just start working for your dad then? No, I worked for uh, Meridian Title uh, for a little bit. I I went up to the courthouse and was a searcher uh, for them. And uh, that was, you had to like search people's uh, deeds and stuff to make sure that they didn't have anything anything crazy. And uh, I got in trouble there because I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to like use the public information that I was gaining to like look up my friends and family. So it's, it's public knowledge. Anybody can, if you know how to use the system, it's completely legal. You can go up there and do it. But I was on the clock for Meridian and like I'd do nine searches and I'd be like, I wonder if my dad's ever got any tickets. And I'd look him up or something. And I remember I posted something they, on Facebook and, and they found out. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you, you, you posted on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then I got pulled in by the boss and the boss's boss. And they were like, you are about to be fired. I was like, what did I do? They're like, you can't as an employee do. And I, now I'm looking back like, duh. But at the time it just made, you know, it didn't make any sense why I was getting in trouble for that. <laughs> And this is me at like 27. So it's not like I was this, yeah. whoa, shucks. I didn't know any better. I was just an idiot. So your dad started LaPorte Seamless Gutter in 1982? Yeah, he bought he bought the name from a guy that had one truck and was just getting out of it. I think he was a, oh gosh, can't remember what the deal was. doesn't matter. Uh, the long story short of it was he bought the business from some guy and he wanted to obviously grow it. And he, 
you started out doing the estimates himself and then doing the installations himself. Yeah, just him, right? Just him, literally by himself. So, you know, he would hang a 50-foot gutter by himself, seamless, one one piece, because you just put a board up on the on the fascia board and then you rack it up and then you walk over. I mean, it's it, it's technically possible, but I don't even understand how the man- So can, inefficient almost. Yeah, <laughs> it's insane. So he he told a story that just like last month, I heard this story for the first time where he did this really big job. He was really happy with it. And he realized that he had taken all the gutter down off the building and he had put it in his truck so he could haul it away. And he didn't, he realized he had to make room for himself to drive the vehicle back. And it was like nine o'clock at night when he was driving back, finally done with the job. He was using the headlights to finish the last piece. And then when he tried to get it in the truck, there was too much scrap in the oh, way. He couldn't no. even do it. He's like, shit. So he'd like cut it up and moved it over and finally like yeah, got in like, and got it home and then was up at, you know, five o'clock the next morning to unload it. And then to go back to work. I mean, the man's a beast and he, I owe literally everything to him and my mom as far as their work ethic. I think that's a good point too, your mom, because kind of an unsung hero in this, your mom has helped build this company quite a bit too. Right? Just as, and I, I'm Tim will admit as well, just as much, if not more yeah. than my dad is my mom's role in this because she's not just answering the phones. She's doing literally all the books, taxes, everything. She was basically a CPA, but she was, she helped her father out who was a, who was a CPA. So she knew that aspect of, of the game and, uh, you know, marketing and they'd go to uh, conventions and figure out how to like treat employees better. And they were in it together to Which grow the business. Isn't probably your dad seen naturally. Yeah. As far as like, he would much, I think he'd much rather be physically working with his hands than trying to convince somebody to buy something. I don't think that's really his game. You come back in 2012. 20, uh, yeah, it started like 2011, 2012. Do you have the conversation with him then that, hey, maybe I'm going to take this over or I just need a job. I'm going to come work for you. And no, I had an idea when I came back. I went to a small business uh, seminar and I wanted to open my own business at the time. I thought that it would be a cool thing to get into a, a, some sort of resale shop. And so I did the numbers and I met with a few guys that, that had one. One guy over in Cherville had one and it was the thing I wanted to do. So I wanted to model my business after him because it was a it was kind of a mom and pop resale shop, but it was it was like high higher end. Yeah. So it was video cameras and glass shelving and everything. It was, it wasn't a pawn shop. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't like that. It was really nice. And I thought, you know, if the, I'm going to build, bring something like that to the port, that'd be pretty cool. And I met with my father and I asked him for like $20,000 to like, as a loan. Uh, cause I, you know, I had debt, I had a credit card. I, you know, I couldn't go to the bank and he literally laughed in my face because <laughs> he's like, what? No, I'm not reading this. You want to come work for a business and own a business. I've got a business. What are you doing? Like he was just so bewildered that I would even come to him with a, you know, with did a you, proposition. Did you have like a, like a contract or like a, did you like formalize something oh, yeah. and bring it to him? Oh okay. yeah. I had a, like a business plan and everything. Oh yeah, man. I, I went and full he laughed at you. He didn't even read it. He passed it back across. He was like, I don't, Ben, no, this isn't. Oh, Ben. We, ben oh, ben. oh, Ben. And you don't know how the world really works. And if you want a business, da, da, da. he was smart enough to say, if you really want to know how business works, you could come work for me and see how business works and then decide if you want to open your own. It was never like, I've got a business, damn it, take it over. It was always, I'll, I'll show you what a business is and you're not going to like it because he thought, you know, lazy Ben won't want to <laughs> do too much with it. Uh, and then it's, and, and contrary to, to his belief, maybe at the time I, I kind of took with it and I, I ran with it. You know, I tried, we, you know, we, we made the Facebook page that they never had. We, we started marketing more. We started doing yard signs, which we never did. We started just, you know, calling people back more often and just the marketing and sales part of it. I was, I'll, I'll take credit and say I was responsible for more of that. Cause business was changing, right? Yeah. Oh, From yeah. the time that your dad and my dad really uh, were at the top of their game, th there was a, there was a chapter that was turning Yep. and email cell phones. Yeah. That's the big two. 
Yeah. Uh, you no longer were just dropping off a proposal or mailing one and then waiting in the mail. So, the, and my dad would get really frustrated about that because it changed right in front of him. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing with the cell phone, we had a policy at LaPorte Seamless Gutter never to give out our personal cell phone numbers. We don't do business that way because if you're out in the field talking with nine people a day and your cell phone rings and I don't even have the paperwork in front of me, how am I supposed to help you in the first place? So it's a bad call. In the first place, I'm not helping them. Plus, I'm taking away from the client that I'm in front of. It's rude. We've never run into a situation where it was, there was an emergency. I had to actually answer the phone in that moment. Come back to the office and have the phone log sitting there and say, these people called and call them all back by the end of the day and go home. And I hear so many contractors that lament that their cell phone is out there because it's just, it never stops ringing. What year did you start seriously kind of having conversations with your dad and mom about buying the business from them? In, it was about a year after I started. Uh, in 2012 to 2013 ish, I started saying like, Hey, you know, what, what are we going to do moving forward? Because at that point I had gotten into the sales role because, uh, Charlie was amazing at his job, but he had put in enough time. He'd been there 22 years and his wife is a teacher. So he was a teacher right before he got in LaPorte Seamus Scudder. So he's like, well, we both want our summers off. So I'm going to put in my two weeks. So he had took his you know, ball and went home and it was a good move for him. And it was a great move for me because that meant I took over the sales role completely. Um, but I hadn't ever measured a house ever. And he put in his two weeks. So I had two weeks to learn how to do that job. And there was a lot of failures <laughs> right off the bat. Cause I'd meet with people and they're like, well, what about this? I'm like, I will get back to you, sir. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so that was a real trial by Did you fire. try to figure out the things that you have to do to make it seem like you do oh, know what you're doing though? After like, two days, I had that down. Cause yeah. you know, it fake was, your way through it. Well, I mean, we've got some other things that I, I'll check on. Well, or, that is a, that is a great question. I'm glad you asked. It comes up more often than you'd think. Uh, one of the things that I do need to do is, do a little uh, spec out research uh, when I get back to the office. As soon as I get there, though, I'll make sure it's a priority to call you back. Is that okay, Mrs. Johnson? AKA, I'll ask my dad. Right? <laughs> and after about six months of asking my dad and showing him pictures all the time and literally doing a, sh- a shit ton of research, just like I would Google. <laughs> That's so sad. Because I'd Google gutters and downs and to be like, how how gutters? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, it's embarrassing to admit, you know, that you, I don't know, just because I'd never had been that hands-on. I'd never, you know, I've never hung a gutter in my life. And so, oh, well, I've, that's a lie. I've, I've been out a couple times on, on little jobs sure. and, and when my dad showed me some things and, but I can, on paper, I'll, I can design a system like better than almost anybody. I'm sure I could. Yeah. And then I can tell you how I do install it. I just have no, I don't, I don't actually do the actual work. Um, and now it's too, it's too, what originally the plan was we're going to put you out on a truck and, and have you learn from the inside. And we, we lost our sales guy. So that was just an impossibility. And now it's to the point where I mean, we are putting these people in the position to, you know, our installers are amazing and we, we just train them up to do it. And I'm just the, just the sales guy, you know, and it, it's working out really well. They officially retired when I started buying them out in 2013 or 2014. It was either a five or a six year buyout. And uh, we got all the way down to December 31st of, of this last year in 2018, where I had enough um, equity in my side of it uh, to, to complete the buyout. So I am officially 100% owner of LaPorte Simples Gutter as of January 1st, 2019. That's awesome, man. It's a really cool feeling. You and I have some similarities. We have some differences. Obviously, I'm a man of the cloth. You are an atheist agnostic. But you and I come together because we both believe 
in this um, profound sense of doing the best for our community, like yep. not not just working hard, not just doing these things, but we feel a debt to our community to do good. Mm-hmm. You've started a charity, mm-hmm. but before we get there, what what kind of built that into you, your uh, passion for doing good for others and raising funds and these kind of things? I think that when anybody that has a charity or has founded a charity or works for a charity or volunteers for a charity is asked that question. I feel like it's n- not that it's not a good question, but like there's, there's, I'm going to edit this out. It's a, <laughs> it's a bullshit question, right? Mm-hmm. Because there it's, there, I think that the true honest answer for anybody is there is, there was never a driving force that t- told me like, you know, Oh, just, you know, it's the people you just, just seeing the smile on a puppy dog's face when you rescue it, you know, it's all the kisses and love you need in the world. That's not why I started the charity at, at all. It was, I was, uh, I felt guilty to my core to charge people money to watch me do comedy because you weren't great at it or because I didn't think, well, so the, the impetus for the, for the charity was that I tried my hand at stand up back in 2013. I went to the drop comedy club on an open mic night and I sat in the back of the room with my buddy, Brad Oman. And we said, we're not going to perform. We're just going to watch and see what happens. And the first guy got up and he was freaking terrible. I've never heard something more boring come out of somebody's mouth. And so we're like, where's the list? Where's the sign up? I don't care what I say. I can make, I'm funnier now, than that. Are you a couple beers in at this point? Nope. Sober, oh. sober, sober, sober. Okay. And you really believed I'm, I'm at least funnier than that guy. Yeah. So I'm stuck. <laughs> That's actually tonight's the night. Cause I can at least be funnier than exactly. that. Exactly. If it all crashes and burns after this, I'm at least, what's your name? Ron. And you work at a grocery <laughs> store and you're talking about eggs. Okay, Ron, here we go. Like that's, I felt like I could at least do that. So I got up and I remember just telling a story about like playing, remember words with friends. Yeah. The, the game. I told a story about playing that. And, uh, and, and I, I mentioned my buddy, Ryan Bush, who's still a friend, uh, from high school. I kind of threw him under the bus. He's not, not like, he's not a not smart guy. He's, he's fine. He's got a small business of himself. He's, he's a good dude. Um, but I said like, uh, you know, the, the punchline was basically, uh, this kid from high school, Ryan Bush challenged me and cause your friends, your fa- your Facebook friends with everybody on the thing. And so when Ryan Bush challenges you, I'm like, I remember Ryan Bush, he was not that smart. And then he beat me by 300 points. And so that, you know, that was the ha ha ha, the laugh, whatever it was. And I remember that actually did get a laugh. And I was like, Oh, that is something I've never felt before. Like, okay. I, I like that a lot. And I went full bore into it. I was there every two, every open mic. I was there every weekend. They made me a house comic after three months. And I, so I started opening shows on the weekends for them. And then we got into a position where I could buy the comedy club with some friends. So we purchased the club, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't what everybody's thinking where you, oh, you bought a building. No, we bought the entity that was the comedy club, which is already inside of a running business that was completely separate. So, you know, it's, this is a couple grand. This isn't a million dollars. So we bought this club. We ran it for a while. I was there every weekend as I was trying to run Laporte Single Scudder. And it just got to the point where, well, you know, I just want to be more on Laporte. And my friends didn't want to make, well, they would just be like, we'd love to come see you sometime. But, you know, South Bend is so far. So I was like, screw it. You know, I'm going to rent the little theater in town. And so I call them and I'm like, hey, how much is it to rent your theater? I think like it'd be a thousand dollars. And at the time they were like, oh, it's $200. So I was like, um, how many seats does it seat? 
No, 200. I was like, okay, well, if I sell tickets for 10 bucks a head and I make $2,000 and then I could give them the 200 and what would I do? I couldn't keep the 1800. That would be crazy, especially because I don't think that I'm funny enough to garner that kind of money. So I started looking for somewhere to donate it. That's the impetus for the entire charity. And that's where it started. Now I will backtrack on my words saying like, there's the little puppy dog eyes and all that. Now you've already insulted me. There's a great reason I'm still doing it. And it's because I found that through my dumb, it was never innate within me to be like, I'm going to donate money and be such a good person. But once I did it, it's a freaking addiction. Like I saw the impact that made. We gave that money to the Salvation Army backpack program, $1,500, I think, after the headliner was paid and all that stuff. Because we brought up a guy from Georgia that was just a very charitable individual named Stuart Huff. You should download his albums. He's amazing. And he, so he came up and performed. It was fantastic. That's, the show sold out in two hours on my Facebook page. I just posted who wants comedy show tickets for 10 bucks ahead and it'll go to charity. Yeah, you weren't doing anything online or anything. No, right? I mean, other I didn't. Mar- I, th- I sat down with a buddy of mine who's a graphic designer and said, we have to come up with posters and we're going to have to paint the town. And within like, literally, I think it was like four hours. I had all 200 tickets accounted for and people were just crazy interested to see. And I, I think more often than that, I was like, let's see if he's actually funny or if he's just pulling our leg. And so it was a good show. It went well enough to clearly do a lot more. We gave the money to them. And when they told me that the $1,500 that we gave them allowed the program to not miss any children because it's a backpack program that gave uh, food over the weekends to kids they were between grants yeah and so that 1500 filled in exactly what they needed to keep the program going without stopping so our little money made this enormous impact so then it was okay now now this is bigger than me now i need to bring in some people to be on a board and let's have because we started selling out more events so we sold we're up to 12 this saturday the 23rd will be our 12th sold out show at the at the little theater we've never not had a sold out show which is insane to me uh, but it shows you the level of support that we're getting do you still sell for ten dollars ticket they're fifteen dollars okay. now <laughs> so yeah, we did raise the price uh this time or it's since i think the third show when we realized that's still Still fair, I think, yeah, for everybody. You're still out. And it's a it's a fundraiser, but we don't want to be like the whole goal of the charity was always, and I've said this a thousand times, and, and it's you know you're you're gonna go have a good time, and oh by the way, the money goes to a good cause. Yeah. We don't preach to you in the room about like oh you need to donate even more. It's not a fundraiser in that way. You're not like becoming Bono when you get up there, and it's just you'll mention the charity once at the end of the night, or maybe twice, you know, once at the beginning, once at the end. Hey, by the way, here's where your money's going this time, and have fun tonight. And that's really all we do. So you feel like that's kind of your role in this community, especially in the nonprofit world is you're going to try to raise money and get this, these programs support through that. And I I would argue even a little bit of awareness too, right? Yeah. You want to, you know, when, when people figure out that you're donating to that cause, then they're like, well, what is that cause? And they do. I mean, it, it's it's not rocket science to understand that you're, if you're talking to 600 people and you're saying, you know, hey, we're going to donate this money to the Slicer Championship uh, Champions Mentorship Program. There will be probably a third of the people in the room who have never heard of that. And now they know of it. And so then the next time they hear it, they're like, oh, yeah, I heard of that because I was at Big Comedy. And it works hand in hand that now people are more aware of it and they know where the money went. And, you know, programs that just never even had a, a, a mouthpiece have one now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's good. But I do put my foot in my mouth a lot of times and, uh, and say, you know, we're, we've got these big goals and we're going to do this and that. And, um, you know, every time I say we're going to sell out and then it's like, I stress myself out because I'm like, are we going to sell out? Is it, is this the show that we don't sell out? And then Ben's a a fraud again. Like it's that little creepy thing in the back of your head that like, do you have that voice ever in your head that, you know, you're just a fraud. People are going to figure this out eventually. Every single time that we put tickets on sale, I'm 
that's the one show that's never going to sell out. And people mm-hmm. are going to understand that it's all just, it's all bullshit. And you just, you, I got tricked into going last time. I feel bad for the guys. So I'm going to give them, it's all that self doubt yeah. and yeah. self hate yeah. that's just rolled in. I'm going because I like Ben and I don't want him to feel bad about himself. These kind of yeah, things. I absolutely. think that all the time. Yep. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, it feels like I'm begging people that against their will to be there. That's not, I know that's not the case, Nate, but I, I know it when I say it. I, I don't say it enough. I got to say it more often because it's in the I know it like always. 90%, but there is a very loud <laughs> yeah. 10%, uh-huh. right? That, uh, it's, it's a, ter- it's, that's the human psyche though. That'll, that'll just screw with you all day long. Um, and, and, and like you said, and the more it's, it's funny cause you've been doing this, you've got a successful business, you've done great in nonprofit work. And you would think you would say, look at your resume. You've got a good resume. You've done great work and you shouldn't have any doubt yet. The more I do, the more doubt I have. Oh, of course. <laughs> you know? And I think that I think that the other part about the other side of that is that like it's not necessarily a bad thing. What if you walked around like your shit didn't stink? You're like, mm-hmm. you're damn right, I'm good at everything. Can't wait for this one to sell out again. And then you don't do any work to make that happen because you're resting on your laurels. That's insane. So the thing that 10% is going to drive me to always be sold out. And, and it keeps always, you humble, right? Absolutely. Because if you're your biggest critic, then you know, a lot of times. Uh, a lot of good can come from that. It's got to be a healthy balance. And I'm trying, trying, trying more and more to be more healthy about the way that I treat myself. Uh, but, you know, right now it's just full steam ahead. Always, always. And that's, that's where I get my in, intro. I always want to try the next thing, do the next thing, build the next thing, make yeah. the next thing happen. And it's, um, it's a lot. I think too, as entrepreneurs, we're um, excited about bigger, better, yes. you know, improved, you know, these kind of things. Managing bogs me down sometimes. Not not that we don't do it. Obviously we have to, but um, I I think of, oh man, do you want to do this for the next 30 years of your life? Oh, that terrifies me because you've built I've what have you've me. built here uh, with the PAC Center and State Street yeah. in this community. I mean, it's, it's, this is as much as my charity is my brand and in my business is my brand. This is your brand, right? And so how does that affect your, when you wake up in the morning and you think to yourself, like, I have to, I have to, do you ever feel pressure to act a certain way or feel a certain way because the, that everybody's looking at you to be the person that ran and runs the PAC Center and State Street? So you're asking questions now? I am. Yeah. So obviously you, you've, you know, I've got, um, I've got we're out of time. So moving on many different, <laughs> many different parties, right. That, um, look to me for different things. Not only as the president of the PAC center, I have all these corporate and nonprofit partnerships, business partnerships, a community leader type of partnership. Um, here at state street, I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor, right. one of the pastors, yeah. uh, pastor Becky is, as well. But, um, there's a couple things. I've got a really great team. Um, and I know your board, um, is really great too. Same, same Z's. Um, but I do disappoint people, um, because I can't make everyone happy. That's the hardest thing in my life is not making everyone happy. Cause I like to be gregarious. I like to, I, I am a peacemaker by nature. You know, I like to bring Republicans and Democrats together. I like to do all of these things. But there, at the end of the day, you can't make everyone happy. And that's when I get to my lowest point yep. is I did everything I can and they're still not happy with me. John Mulaney is a stand-up comedian that I know I you like John and I so like much. very much. I think he's at the top of the game right now. Um, he had a bit about like walking down the street with his girlfriend and his girlfriend just doesn't care. And John cares so much. And his girlfriend would tell him, it's like you're running for the mayor of nothing. And I feel like that all the time because Bailey, my girlfriend, who is 
the love of my life and really keeps me centered and mm-hmm. really calms me down when I'm going crazy. It will tell me like, you don't, I mean, if you don't want to be that person right now, you don't have to be that person right now. She also understands that sometimes to, in order to recharge my batteries, I I'm a, an extrovert and I need to be around people and making mm-hmm. that happen, making everybody like me will make me feel better. Yeah. So if I go out and I buy a guy a beer that I haven't seen in a while and it's, Oh, you didn't need to do that. I'm like, hell yeah, I did brother. Cause I haven't seen you in a while. And it, that's a really good feeling and it makes you feel good. And then you shake hands and kiss babies and whatever, like you're running for office when you're not running for office, but it makes me feel whole. Yeah. And at my worst points, because I'm, I'm again, a little bit like you to say, making people laugh, making people happy, making just, just making people like me. Right. I mean, there is part of that. I'm the youngest child too. So, uh, my worst points is when I believe nobody likes me, you know, and again, it's not that nobody likes me. It's just that I'm disappointing everyone, yeah. you know, cause there was an expectation, especially when now it's a, it's a small town, man. Yep. yep. So when some, Oh, this is, this is Ben. Con- oh, he's hilarious. Yep. Ben, come over here. Be funny. Say something this. funny. Ben. Yeah, happen, it does happen a lot, actually. I mean, I, I didn't think that that was ever going to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was something that, that happened on Seinfeld where, yep. you know, somebody put him in an awkward situation. It doesn't actually really happen. Oh no, that shit happens all the time yep. where people would say like, tell me a joke because they, they, they know I've done comedy before. And I just, I never used to know what to say and now it turns into like a mini roast so mm-hmm. they'll be, I just literally start making fun of them and then they're like well that's not what i meant and like well then don't ask yep. <laughs> you know, yep. and not super mean but just like you know nice shirt does it come in uh extra large because you clearly need one or it's just something you know just yep. a little dig at somebody and they're like oh this wasn't a but there is that pressure though and and again i think yeah, i think uh emma my wife is similar to bailey in that um she centers me a lot better than i because i do need it i need yeah. oh for sure um my highs are high and my lows are low um, and she's just, you know, you know kind of mm-hmm. just uh, stable. But um, she doesn't understand why I care so much. You know, why do you care what these people think? It's not that I care about these people. I care about all people. <laughs> I care what everyone thinks, you know. Um, and, and I'm working on it, right? Yeah. You know, you try to get to a point and uh, I'll you, spend the rest of my life. I'm 37 years old and I still try to make my dad proud, right? <laughs> well, I really do. I know? share that. <laughs> Before we close this chapter of the conversation, because I want to get to some other things, but tell me the story. Um, I don't remember if this was for charity or not. Did you not, because you were an athlete, did you not run the Laporte uh, mini triathlon before? I did. Yeah, I did. I did that. Uh, Was that for charity or? No, that was just on a whim because I was doing, like I I started a blog before, I think that before that I did the charity, I started a blog called willpowerthrough.com and it's now defunct. I haven't done it in in a while, but it was just about challenging myself to do things for 30 days just to see if I could do it. I was bored and I got up to like a thousand readers a day. That's great. Which was crazy for just a stupid little blog. And it was back before gifts were really popular. So it was just a lot of images and I would just talk, uh, you know, just, it would be a one page thing. And I was like this today I, I woke up and, you know, I went vegan for a week and I went, I tried to be, I, I just tried to do uh 10,000 steps a day on your Fitbit or whatever it was. Or, and then I did these, I tried to raise, I tried to raise money for, uh, I believe the, um, it was when a, a friend's uh, little girls got in a car accident. And so I thought I'll do anything for $20 on video. So I just said, whatever you got, whatever idea you have, I'll do it for 20 bucks. And I ended up doing like lip syncing aha videos and in, in neon shirts and 
and all this other stuff. And that's, so all of that happened on the, on the blog. And I think one of the things was like, I'm just going to do the triathlon with like one week of training. So I, and I'm not an in shape person. Were, were you in shape then? No, no. I was when I was still, I mean, I was probably 260 Ben. So it was a little while ago from here, but still way overweight for what you needed to do there. I was, and- I think I was almost dead last. There were grandma, not joking, grandmothers on the run were walking past me and they were like, you can do it. And I'm like, shut up, Bertha or whatever your name is. <laughs> so at what point in there, in that triathlon, because you, you, you swim first, then yep. you bike, then you swim, run. Swim, bike, run. So the swim. At what point did you get like to this, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, like 47 seconds into the bike. Okay. Because I'm a good swimmer. Uh, I grew up, my parents had, we had a pool. And so I was constantly in the water always. And that's definitely my strong suit. So I was actually out of the water about mid pack yeah, and not actually that tired. I was like, okay, cool. Then I got onto the bike and I hadn't biked it since like grade school. So I was like, oh, hurt really oh bad. I asked my dad if I could borrow his bike. And as I'm just like riding this bike that I don't really know how to ride. And I've got this helmet on that barely fits. Cause you I, didn't train on the bike at all. Not even once. <laughs> and, uh, this guy named Eddie dubs, who's a, a friend. Well, I know Eddie. Uh, yeah. wait, he's great for, can we just say how great he is? Cause he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took pity on me and like, kept my pace and just talked, talked to me for the oh, he, whole, and he's like whole a, time. an in shape oh, person. He could have gotten third, but yep. instead he was like after the bike, probably in 99th place because he was just there talking to me and we were just having a good time. And did he, he run with you? Uh, he did not No, I, after that he took off cause he knew like, I'm not in it for that, man. I gotta go. <laughs> so you get done with the bike section and you still, how, how far is the run? The run is then it's, I think it's a five, five K. Oh my word. So I think it was still like three miles. Uh, maybe it was, I, maybe I'm misremembering, but that's a sprint triathlon probably, distance. Probably so. could have been. Um, that sounds right. I was trying to convince myself to try to jog for 30 seconds and then walk for 30 seconds. <laughs> One of those. And after like the first minute of doing that, I was like, fuck, I'm just going to walk. It's so it people was, are passing you then? People are passing me. And not only, you know how the crowd, like, have you ever been to the triathlon? Uh-huh. There's a huge crowd at the end. Yeah. Right? Not for me. It was my mom and my dad and my dad and mom's dog. In chairs. Are, are they like already taking down the stuff? Everything was gone. They were, they, I, they, there was no donuts left. There wasn't even a banana. They were tearing down. I'm not you kidding. couldn't carve up it afterwards. Was five hours later or something. It was insane. It was so late. The sun was going down. Did I anybody know. come and like check on you just to see? So, like, are you okay? So a buddy of mine, Matt Knoll, was running uh, and he had finished, you know, an hour before and he saw me and he ran back to me and he ran with me for the last like quarter mile and i actually did start picking up the pace and then i finished um and he was like come on you can do it you can come on seriously man you're gonna be fine was that was that was that helpful or was that more it was actually like, no it really okay, did help I'd be like you know what just shut up right now I'm i was dying. i was so just that's the first time i uh after i was done i we went home and i took a four-hour nap just because I, my body needed it. Your, your body was mind. like shutting yeah, down. It literally was shutting down. It was so weird. It felt weird because I fell asleep without my brain being tired. So that was, it's creepy. Do you want to commit on this podcast right now to doing it again? This no, <laughs> no, I do not. You and I both love Saturday Night Live. We bond over our, yes. our mutual love of Saturday Night Live. Do you remember when you first started watching Saturday Night Live? Like a lot of people that are, are now considering themselves to be funny people, uh, I would stay up late on Saturdays and and I would crawl out of bed and, and just 
cheat and run downstairs and, and hide and watch that Saturday Night Live in the, in the early 90s. Uh, so I would have been like 11 or 12. Yeah, when, I was about 10 or 11 too. Yeah, so it would have been the Phil Hartman, uh, yeah. uh, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Ellen Cleghorn, Rob uh, Schneider uh, uh, days uh, right before Mike Myers joined. Um, it's probably right when I, my first memories of it and it was just, it was different. It was so much different. So funny. Just incredible. Do you think, cause I, I, I just read someone's comments the other day and this happens all the time. As you I read? Not, I do read, um, <laughs> occasionally Twitter. Um, and there was some cynical comment about how, you know, SNL's 20 years past his prime. It's not funny anymore. But I remember hearing that like 10 to 15 years ago, like when, you know, people that are like now at the top of their game making movies and right. you know, Andy Samberg yeah. and everything were on the cast. And that was a terrible it's, cast back then. It's okay not to know how comedy works. So if you, yeah. ha- if you have a, that opinion, you just don't know how comedy works. And that's okay. You're just, you're blind to it because you don't do it or you've never been around it or you think that. Uh, I don't know, maybe Adam Sandler's movies on Netflix or the height of culture. Maybe that's what you think. So yeah, it's hard to convince somebody that has that mentality that they're wrong because they clearly just don't understand. They're not playing the same game as you. They don't understand how hard that would be to literally every week or every two weeks have to from scratch with somebody who might not be very good, craft an entire comedy show that's going out live uh, for an audience that wants to hate you a lot of times and you don't, and things are changed and dropped at the last minute. And the way the process of the show works is incredible. They, they have dress rehearsal and they still have to cut like three things. So you have to learn all your lines for a sketch. That's just not even going to air maybe, but you don't know that maybe until another half an hour. It's like, that's crazy. And and you get it done and you start over on Monday. That's always been one of the things that I've just, I, I think I'm more interested more than more than the actual show. I'm interested in the process. Absolutely. I'm uh, right there with you. Those are the things. That's why I, if I can find a book or I listen to it, we, the you and I history, shared yeah. the <laughs> podcast and things like yeah. that, that uh, I listen to. And oh I yeah. A- anything you. I can glean um, from a writer that was on the show from the nineties that has a, a bit to talk yep. about in the New Yorker or whatever. Yep. I'm like, they're talking what? about Lauren Michaels. I'm send, in, send in it a, to me. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, who are some of your favorite SNL um, cast members throughout the times you've been watching? So when I was a kid, uh, I, I really, even though I wasn't a fat, I don't think I was a fat kid, but I still identify with Chris Farley more than anybody just because of how gregarious he was, as, at least as a character. Off, I've read everything about him. Sure. Off stage, you know, way different person. But on stage, wanting to be the center of attention, wanting to be that guy, that's who I identified with and still do as far as performing. It's It's just he was bigger than life and he wanted to be Belushi so bad. And he, you know, unfortunately was, but I remember thinking he was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And then as I got a little older and I got to the the late nineties and the early two thousands, um, that's when I hit college and I wasn't, that was like the, my little gap of not watching anymore. And then Will Ferrell hit and I was like, Oh my God, this guy is, is, is insane. And then I didn't realize, uh, how much I loved Kristen Wiig mm-hmm. until she left the show. And it was almost like a vacuum of talent that had left because she was absolutely incredible. She might be her Tina Fey, Amy Poehler and Maya Rudolph are possibly the four funniest women in the entire world. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said women. Those are four of the funniest people that have maybe ever lived. And I I stand behind that hundred percent. I think Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are maybe my favorite overall characters from uh, our characters, uh, uh, writers for that show because they were just brilliant. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. Yeah, they were cast members, but they were also writers. Yeah. Uh, Tina was the head Tina, writer. Tina Fey especially. Yeah, yeah right. Um, she was the head writer yeah. for years. Yep. Um, and she's, <laughs> that's a that's a generational talent. 
right there. The, yeah. You just, you don't see that every day. So um, I'm going to, I know. Can I ask you who your favorite? Oh, I know it's about me, right? But I want to know. I mean, no, it's okay. Um, so um, let me think back. I, I look back and reflect and, and here's the thing is I have this thing where I love a lot of like the cursory characters that aren't always like the, um, the, the top dogs. Like I think Anna Gostar is really yeah. funny. Yeah. I mean like when she was in a scene, I thought she was really funny, even though she was never like the top build person. She was um, great though at being, um, the straight man character, yeah. Yeah. but, but still being the funny part of the scene as the straight man you know yes. that, that was and that's uh, hard that's another person really uh, vanessa do. bear i always thought oh, vanessa yeah. bear was so funny even though she was never like the top you know obviously i always think doesn't she do the um the weather girl on on weekend update yep. That, yep. which was my that's just so freaking funny yeah and so like those are the ones because I, I and maybe just because it's my my belief in always you know lifting up the people that don't always get the credit kind of thing but i just always found those people really really funny and the, the, obviously chris farley was just sure he was like a god to me he was just everything um Adam Sandler was everything to me in middle school. I mean, he was just, sure. you know. I had his albums and I would listen oh, to them. Oh, the movies. Over, yeah. My friend, you know, in oh, middle school, sure. we'd stay at each other's uh, houses and we'd just watch all the Billy Madisons and, the, you know, and, and quote them like crazy. Um, and like you said, when Will Ferrell came along, everything just kind of changed. Because I didn't realize anybody could be that funny by just not being bigger than life. His physicality yep. is, he when you can look and like when you can look a certain way and make people laugh, like just with a facial expression, you, you've got it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's just when I watching some, some of my favorite things to do are catch the old audition tapes. If you can ever go find them, like Will Ferrell's audition. He did his, uh, Will Ferrell did his, uh, um, uh, Harry Carey on that. Yeah, I he think. did his Harry Carey and he also did Get Off the Shed where he was, he's like flipping burgers and he's, he's pantomiming it. So on the actual show, they have a real grill and it's real props. But in the uh, audition, you're just up there with on your stage by yourself. He didn't bring any props. So he's just pantomiming, having a, a, a spatula. And he's like, hey, Dylan, hey, Dylan, get off that shed, buddy. Okay. Well, anyway, Becky, it's real good to see you. Thanks for coming and bringing the girls. You know, hey, Dylan, buddy, pal, going to have to get you off that shed. Okay, partner? And it escalates so, and he, get off, get off that shed. <laughs> you, you get off that shed. And I just remember uh. crying when I saw it on SNL. And then when I saw the audition, I thought it was even funnier because I'm like, he's by himself. He's, there are, he's not acting off of anybody. He's able to make this on his own. I thought in that moment, I've never seen anything funnier. Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry if I just really screamed. No, you, you step back. You're, you're perfect. And, um, but I'm going to, we're going to play a game. Okay. Um, it, this is an SNL quiz. Oh shit. <laughs> no, it's okay. uh, I think you're going to get a lot of them. We'll um, see. We'll see. Uh, question one, Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake opened the Saturday, Saturday night live 40th anniversary special. I know you watched it yep. with a musical tribute honoring the first 40 seasons of Saturday night live. Which two recurring characters join the musical tribute? Oh my God. From the SNL 40? Yeah. Oh, I, I couldn't, I could not tell you. Debbie Downer played okay. by Rachel, Rachel, another great. Rachel Dratch. Oh uh, my God. And uh, Mary Catherine Gallagher by Molly Shannon. Another okay. great. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, which two women were the first female co-hosts of Weekend Update? Uh, I mean, would that have been? You named them already. Yeah, I was going to say, because I'm thinking like the Jane Curtin or something. I, I actually do it back in the day, but it would have been Tina. And, yeah. And do you have a favorite Weekend Update um, team? or? I know? think I think that Norm MacDonald did something incredibly 
crazy and I can't believe he got away with it for sure. so long. Yep. So I res- I did he wasn't my favorite, but I respect the hell out of what he did with He Weekend. changed it a little bit. He absolutely yep. did. Um he was so ad adversary adversary? Uh, adversarial. adversarial. Thank yeah. you. He was so adversarial with the audience a lot of times. If yeah. they didn't like a joke, he would just sit on it like Letterman would yep. a lot of times. It was like, no, this is funny. You're, I'm going to wait. Loved it. Loved he, just oh, sitting in the tension of it. Yeah. Yep. Just, just that was brilliant. But um, I think that. Uh, was think he what, before or after Kevin Nealon? Uh, it was, I think it was Kevin Nealon and then Norm McDonald. I think you're right. Maybe. Because I think Kevin Nealon was essentially when I started watching Kevin, the show. Kevin Nealon, Norm McDonald, and then Colin Quinn after yeah, Norm McDonald. Yeah. Uh, I think because, because uh, McDonald was let go from that position yep. eventually. Yep. Um, but yeah, though, T- Tina and, and Jimmy were really funny. Tina and Amy were really, really funny. Seth Myers is probably the, that's, he got a, you know, he has his show because of weekend update and, mm-hmm. Seth Myers is, and everybody knew how good he was on it. So I think he's probably the best at it, but I currently, Michael Che and Colin Jost are absolutely fantastic. I really, they finally found their rhythm and I love them very much. It's really hard to say overall my favorite, but probably Tina and Amy were just so damn good. Tell me this. Yeah. Which of the following actors was never a cast member? Robert Downey Jr. He was. Chris Rock. He was. Billy Crystal. He was. Michael J. Fox. No, wait. Yeah, I know. Billy Crystal was. Michael J. Fox was not. Yes, correct. Good job. Yeah. Um, oh, this is a hard one. Oh, boy. What is the last name of Craig, the Spartan cheerleader? <laughs> Oh, so Sherry and Terry and Will Ferrell, like crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. Have you stopped Buchanan. Me? Uh, oh. Ariana refers to his his father as Mr. Buchanan. Mr. Buchanan. Nice. Uh, That's a deep cut, man. Yeah, I know. No, these are some deep questions. These aren't, these aren't mine. I, I'll say this. I didn't put this together. Um, this was actually put together by SNL fans online okay. about, you know, deep All kind right. of cuts. But uh, um, this is, this is great. Um this cast member member was known for his impressions, especially of singers. He co-hosted the Weekend Update on SNL and had a recurring sketch as Nick Burns, a sarcastic computer Company technician. Company computer guy. Before moving on to his late night and then the Tonight Show. Who right. we got? Oh, of course, Jimmy Fallon, man. Yeah. I, I, so what do you think? Do, did you like Jimmy Fallon? I, there, there are parts where I didn't like him... Like everyone loves when you crack up and laugh in a skit, when the skit gets the best of you. A.D. Bryant does that and it makes me laugh. Jimmy Fallon annoyed me and I don't know why. Well, it's just because it was too often. Okay. He, he just always, him like, and Horatio Sands couldn't it, ever get through one freaking sketch without and it, laughing. And it, and, that's, and it seemed like that was their, their attempt to make the skit funnier sometimes. I don't know. And I, I don't know if I buy into that aspect of it because I think that. You think they were really laughing? Yeah. I think that they just had such a, there's just such children when it comes to the comedy part of it i think that they just couldn't help themselves and that's not professional and it doesn't really work in that way and they shouldn't have done it but you know they were so good at other things that i'm i kind of forgive them for it but again if you're gonna be doing that show and you're gonna break every once in a while it's it's part of the you're making people laugh why wouldn't you laugh you're you're stupid if you say if you say you know wow i can't believe you couldn't keep it together really Calm, calm down, but to do it every or like a lot of sketches, especially some of the sketches that I remember, some were saved by it. Sure. You know, there's a Will Ferrell tiny phone a bit where him, uh, they're 
folding clothes at a very, very nice upscale boutique. Mm -hmm. And Will Ferrell comes out like in a rascal and has like a little tiny phone. He's like, I'm going to Milan. I have to go. And Jimmy Fallon cannot keep a straight face. And that's really, it made it funnier. It was funnier. Yep. But there are other sketches where I think could have been even more amazing. There's a Janet Jackson sketch. uh, And I'm, (laughs) we're going to bleep this if I screw up the wording because it's uh, where she is a uh, cork soaker in the old country. And the whole bit is trying to just say that over and over. You're like, oh, she soaks the, the corks so good. And it, <laughs> that kind of thing. And, and it was, it's, it's brilliant. It's a really funny sketch. But Jimmy almost completely ruins it because he can't keep a straight face. And he almost ruins uh, more cowbell as well because he yeah. can't keep it. And I'm like, dude, that's some of the most classic. That's the most, maybe one of the most classic sketches of all time. And you almost ruined it by laughing. Like, that's not cool. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go through the top 10 according to uh, bestlifeonline.com, um, <laughs> your source for all great lists. Um, I'm going to go through the top 10 SNL skits as voted by bestlifeonline.com. Oh, wow. Okay. So hey, I want to know their metrics. I want to know how many people. Well, I don't know. Anyway, this might just be by the author. I don't know. Fair I don't. Fair the, the methodology of this isn't in here. But I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you and you give me your opinion in, okay. of this skit and say if you remember it or not. Sure. All right. Um, number ten, mom jeans. Yeah. So that's uh, that's Amy Poehler era, and it was it was uh, it was a, a, com- a fake commercial, and it was oh, great. It's it. very very funny. Yeah, I loved it. it had like the the nine number, inch zipper. That's number nine. That's, that's number 10. ten all time. Yeah, that's not correct. You don't think so? No, not at all. Not okay, even, that's not even. All right, we'll go through this, and all then right, you sorry. can say which which maybe ones that sure. you think should have been in there. Sure. Okay. Um, the number nine is count or point counterpoint. And this was with Jane Curtin and Dan Aykroyd. Jane, you ignorant slut. Yeah. Is the, yeah, yeah. Yep. That deserves, uh, number eight, celebrity jeopardy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. It's classic. I think yep. you have to put that one in there. Yep. I like that. Number seven. Uh, this is a 1996 sketch with Dana Carvey called the Tom broke all P tapes. I, I don't remember it now. There was a uh, there was a sketch where Dana Carvey, um, uh, President Gerald Ford, was killed by a pack of rabid badgers today, and he was just do. What if he was on vacation and the news anchor was on vacation and he had to just fill in? And he keeps saying, like, seeing these ridiculous things, and he's like, oh, "Would that really happen?" And he's like, "Well, you got to be prepared for everything." Is that what this? That's one is? I think what it was. Yeah. So uh, here's the um, synopsis of it: preparing for a vacation, the NBC news pre anchor pre tapes some possible yes. news items. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Would and you I, put that seven? I don't. Th- no, not at all. But it's it's hilarious and it's, it's all right. Good, I, yeah, it's yeah. a good sketch, but not it's not in the top. Number yet. six, Lazy Sunday. So I think that you would have to have a separate list for the digital shorts. Yeah. I don't think it's fair to compare. That's a pre-tape. Yeah. And so is the mom jeans one. And so it's that's not live comedy. So it's, those you, are almost commercial. You can get it yep. perfect. You yep. can take yep. nine takes. So I think you really it's only point. because of that you have to put that separately. But of the digital shorts, uh Dick in a Box and uh and Lazy Sunday are probably a neck and neck for like the, the most I've ever laughed at an at a, at a short. Uh, number five, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, that's classic. That that should be in there. Uh, number four, this is this might be controversial, but I laugh at this. David S. Pumpkins. So that is not at all in the top ten. No, I wouldn't either. Should, that's a dumb. But I laugh at that. it. But of course, when it came out, I, I and I still laugh at it. Actually, yep. it's it's still it's it's a. Uh, that's a that's something that will last. People thought that that was maybe a flash in the pan. I think in a couple of years, when you watch that sketch, you're gonna be like, "Yeah, it holds up. It's really funny." Yeah, it'll always be on their it's Halloween really, specials. Oh god, yeah. it's so funny. Um, number three, more cowbell. <laughs> what are the skeletons? Part of it. Yeah. Like, it's just so <laughs> yeah. funny. 
Sorry, what was the uh, number three? More cowbell. Of course, yes, I agree with that. I don't yeah. agree with the ranking, maybe, but I agree that it should be. In well, there. here, yeah, okay. So number two, a van down by the river. Yep, that's that's easily in the top ten. Number one, what do you think it is? <sighs> number one sketch of all time. Yeah, is, you, is there any that you're thinking? Oh, we just haven't gotten to this one. Um, See, I wouldn't put this number one, but I understand why it is. It's a it's an iconic sketch. I think. Uh, Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. No. Could be in there. It's How about Belushi uh, as a samurai? I will say this. The two actors, and they've this is actually a top 30 list, so we'll go through and gotcha. we'll see if those other ones. Sure. This is uh, by Dan Aykroyd and Steve Martin. The two wild and crazy guys? Yeah. yeah, sure. No, and I think that you could make the case for any of those 70s, you know, early sketches where there's, a, the I think in the pilot, uh, Jim, uh, Jim, John Belushi, uh, is learning English. And so the guy, I can't remember who the, who the other guy is in the couch. Or the, he's like, you know, uh, asking him how to get to the subway. And he's like, uh, my, uh, something along the lines of, I would like to feed your fingertips to the Wolverines. And he's telling him that that's like how to say, go to the bus or whatever. Yep. That's the opening for the entire show. I believe that's the first sketch that's the that was first, in ever, 1975. Yeah. That had ever happened. Um, and I just remember since then I've going back and looking at how freaking funny is, is John Belushi. He's just holy shit funny. Yeah. Um, a couple of the other ones that I'm going through here and noticing in the top, like 30, a holiday with Steve Martin or holiday wish for Steve Martin, uh, Chippendale's audition. Uh, Chippendale's. Yeah. I was thinking that my, you know, the favorite of the favorite Farley ones, the Van Dyke by the river is of course, Matt Foley, you know, is, is incredible. I used to, when I was on stage at the drop, I would, uh, I had a, a bit like that. Um, and I, I could, cause I could kind of do a Chris Farley impression, but comics are so mean and they're so funny that when I did it, I came off stage. My buddy was like, that sounds like you're doing deaf. Matt Foley, like deaf Chris Farley. So then I turned it into that. I was just like, my name is Matt Foley and I'm a motivational speaker. And, uh, and like, what's that? I can't hear. It's just stupid. And it got a lot. It did. It got a better laugh than just a normal Chris and Chris Farley impersonation. Uh, yeah, Jesus. It's so funny. Uh, Debbie Downer's up there. Oh yeah. That's huge. Spartans cheerleaders. Sure. Uh, those are, see, I would say those are more like classics than, yeah. than they are like best overall. Cause honestly, like the best sketches are these little one-offs that aren't famous for being part of the show. Like the cheerleader sketches are funny and so celebrity jeopardy. And that actually might be the, the, the exemption to this whole thing, because that is truly like the, the first one with with Sean Connery is, Oh my God, it's so funny. Yeah. But like the, the cheerleader sketches, I can't remember any of those. Like you name me what yeah, they say. No, I remember laughing. Sure. But what did they say? Yeah. yeah. What was the cheer? I, I don't remember. Right. Exactly. So there's a sketch with Will Ferrell and Jim Carrey where Jim Carrey is the lifeguard and Will Ferrell is just in a hot tub. And he, uh, Jim Carrey was obviously hosting that week and it's basically, he treats it like it's a real lifeguard job and he's very serious about it. And he, he's, he overacts like he, like Jim Carrey would, would want to do. And Will Ferrell is just literally sitting there like trying to enjoy himself. Like, Sir, you are too far away from the edge of the, please return to the swimming area. You know, and he's mm -hmm. taking very, blowing the whistle right in his face. He jumps in, tries to save him. 
That's it's that's in my top ten personally. I just think I've never laughed harder at a sketch than I laughed at that. It's the physical comedy of it, or just the absurdity. of The it? absurdity of it is, and mix, mixed with they were able to then do some physical comedy, but that wasn't the whole thing. Why it was funny? It wasn't a pie in the face. It was like that they took it that serious yep. to that level. Yeah. And then uh, Zach Galifianakis has a bidet sketch where it's just him and Chris and they just keep talking about a bidet in a house, and I just it tickles me to no end. But uh, is the is the bidet? something that we can count on and and if the if the bidet were to break would you have a bidet repairman <laughs> uh now if i had to go to the hospital uh because the bidet broke and it hurt me would the ambulance also have a bidet like he was just saying bidet like that and just and i i just remember thinking this is so absurd and so it's the so absurdity funny. Yeah. of it is that are the creative when, absurdity when people it. take something so ridiculously absurd and they play it so straight yeah is my favorite kind of comedy yeah, yeah. I really get into that. Uh, what about daily affirmations? Did you like those? I, I was too young. I didn't get it when I was, you know, when Michael Jordan was on. And yeah. he was like, that, that was, of course, really yeah. funny. And that holds up. But Brian Fellows, really Safari Planet. Astronaut Jones is the better pick there. Yeah. Uh, Stefan. That's great. Now, did you know, I mean, you probably know this, but uh, John Mulaney yeah. wrote that with Bill Hader. And he would slip things in to try to make Bill Hader just break. So he would like, he would add Spike Lee in, but then he would like add, he would like put Spike Lee in for a second time, yep. like later on, would not tell Bill Hader, and so he had to be like, he's got everything, da, da, da. and Spike Lee, and he couldn't keep it. And then that to me, that's a great break. Yep. when that, you can break that, in that way. Yep. Okay. Uh, Harry Carey, the uh, Space, the Infinite Frontier. Oh, sure. <laughs> Jesus, that's so- hey, <laughs> the moon's made of cheese. I know, I know, I would. So great. Uh, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. No, of course. Yep. Hanukkah song. Oh, yeah. Church chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Brown's celebrity hot tub party. <laughs> My God, that's, that's old. Yeah. Wow. Uh, old glory insurance. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, what was, uh, what, what was the premise of that? Adam McKay actually wrote that. Um, it was a 1995 commercial parody um, as his favorite contribution. Uh, so he says, um, Oh, it, t- it text, uh, protects us from robot attacks. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, the, you know, what other commercial I really liked was um, Will Ferrell doing the uh, shaming your dog. Yeah, oh, that's it was so, so and, it, and you know what made it so funny is because I think he had like a, a wound from a, a dog attack on his face. Uh, so you could clearly see like yep. this is why he was doing it, but they never mentioned it directly. And I think, again, that's so absurd and it's so funny. The Falconer. Oh yeah, Will Forte was famously a guy that speaking of breaking, he never broke. No, never and another one, one that, like you said, one of those kind of not not always the most notable character in the cast at the time, but always if you played so well. If you were to ask the cast members when he was around who was their favorite cast member, they would probably all say Will Forte. Yeah. He was just he was a, a sketch writer's sketch writer. He was a comedian's comedian. He did it, he did it his own thing for sure. All right, we're gonna come back and uh, we'll end the podcast with uh, one just one or two extra questions. Sure, man. Tell me a couple of things. Who impresses you? Like who in the world right now is impressing you? Or who in your life right now is impressing you? Right now, I think that uh, 
my friend, uh, my well, it's an acquaintance more than a friend, but I want, I want to get back in my life more. Is is I've actually introduced you to him. His name is Ben Braden. Yeah, Ben's a good guy. He's a he's a good dude, and uh, I consider him to be a, a good friend. But I just don't see him at all. You know, he's got wife and kids and a charity of his own. Everything. He turned a, a very bad situation with his daughter who was diagnosed with a specific type of cancer, who is in remission now, uh, and he turned that into an actual charity. A lot of people go through things with their families, and then they have a fun run for it, or they have. This and, that, and that's very good. Ben took it to the next level and chose to inspire other people and chose to make it bigger than his own little family. And to take that selflessness is insane. To take what something is so personal and private and to to use the that to be the impetus for the fire to grow into the, like this this amazing thing that he's built uh, is just it's inspiring. It really is. And then I've got an, another buddy of mine, uh, Cole Varga, is uh, the uh, CEO of Exodus Refugee down in Indianapolis, and he started there after college. As an, I believe as an intern, I maybe I'm misspeaking, but he's now he rose up all the way to now he's running the place and placing refugees and, and fighting for their rights and, and just being somebody from Laporte, Indiana, who's doing something on a literal global stage is inspiring. And then on the on the, on the international scene, I don't know if anybody uh, even likes Elon Musk anymore, but I just think that he's that's just the kind of he's kind of like the Steve Jobs these days. You need somebody crazy that's throwing ideas yeah. out there and, and innovating and making it easy. You're not sure they might be a super villain, but not, if seriously. they're not, also, they're going to change the I'm world. I'm not sure yeah. if he's just a real big dick. Like I think I've read stuff where he's like he's horrible to work for, but, but he's going to change the world. But he's going to change the world. And that that in and of itself is maybe inspiring. even the galaxy. Seriously, literally. What or who frustrates you? Much like my father, uh, I am frustrated by the turn of technology trying to, you know, empowering people to be shitty. So you didn't return my email. You, uh, what's your cell phone? I need to be able to get a hold of you at any time that I want. The entitlement that people have these days to factor themselves into your life for no other reason than that they, they think that they can is so frustrating to me. Calm the sh- I was gonna swear. Calm the hell down and just relax, and I'll call you back. You know, it's not not on fire. Everything's gonna be fine. The immediacy of everything. The immediacy of everything is very frustrating. I would like, and I'm guilty of it as well. You know, if I said if I need uh, something at my house done, and I call up somebody and they don't return my call in a day, I'm getting kind of ticked. But I don't expect them to call me back in five minutes, and that is the expectation for some people, and it's insane. And I can't be a part of that. I won't be a part of that. If Laporte Seamless Gutter crashes and burns because I don't give my cell phone out, and people hate that about us, then I don't want to run that company, you know. And so far, so good. But again, it's very frustrating because that seems to be the the way that we're turning, and we're not heading back anytime soon. Do you feel as a small business owner, do you feel as it goes, you have to follow along or, you know, cause you know, everyone, all these other businesses, you know, if they start kind of going to this immediacy culture, then do you feel like I have to compete or. I think that, uh, that would be the one thing that I would just put my foot down and say like that I don't have a company anymore. I'd, I'd stick with it because it's not worth it to like be beholden at that level, you know, because I think that that's unfair for people to want that from you or from me or for anybody uh, to answer a phone call at seven o'clock at night when you're having dinner about like how far out the downspout extension is going to come from the ground. Who cares? That's a Monday morning question. That's not a 7 p.m. Saturday question. How dare you call me? You know, and that's, that's my feeling about it. I get angry because that's weird. When one person did get my cell phone one time and they, uh, they found it uh, through the charity or something and they just started calling about work stuff. And I, I dropped them as a client. 
It was a, like a $3,000 job that he really wanted us to bid. And that's that's one of the bigger jobs we'll ever get at LaPorte. That's, that's a huge house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I absolutely just bailed on him. I said, because he called me like six times over the course of the And I politely said, you know, please call the office. This is my personal cell. And he's just that kind of entitlement. I will not stand for it. He just can't. There's too many nice people in the world that I could be dealing with. All right. Final question. What brings you hope? I think... My gut answer is my mom, because everything that we've done in our entire lives, you know, my mom, my dad building the business and then just moving forward. Every time I come to her with something and I have an idea, she's like my biggest champion in that way before Bailey came along. And now Bailey is right there with her being supportive. And so it gives me hope that I can, I always know there's somebody in my life that I can tell them something and they'll say that that is a good idea and you should pursue that if you truly are passionate about it. That's, that gives me a lot of hope for anybody because that means that there are other people in life that are doing that for other people in life. So if you've got your mom or, or whoever that is to you and they are empowering you by just giving you the, the idea that it's okay to try something, that's very hopeful. And I think that that's missing a lot of times in people's lives. And I th- that's why I think that my buddy, Tim Frankie is uh, on my charity board. He's a uh, slicer mentor and he is, uh, he came to me and we were talking about stuff and he just said, you know, if, if I can just make a slight impact in this kid's life, just, just that he has some hope that he, that things aren't always going to be shit, then isn't that, isn't that enough? Isn't that one thing enough to, to make it worth your while? And it really makes me think of like having somebody in your life that gives you hope and allows you to be hopeful. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate your friendship. I'm inspired by everything that you're doing. And um, if people want to find out more about uh, Seamless Gutter, what's your website? I don't worry about that. Okay. Big, big comedy. Uh, we we're going to get to big comedy. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Okay. Lapore Seamless Gutter. It's lpseamless.com. Or yeah. To- but most importantly, uh, keeping up with all the events you're doing with big comedy, Lapore, yeah. where do they go to to find so out? That we, we have a dedicated Facebook page. It's, that's the easiest way to do it. It's big comedy Laporte. And uh, follow us along. We do two shows a year at the Little Theater, and we try to do the inappropriate trivia every year. And I know that there are some in the community again you want everybody to like you we have some in the community that are not on board because it's it is it's r-rated and it's not for kids for sure and they have these kind of preconceived notions about how can you say such dirty things or, or horrible things and then give the money to kids. It's like, have you never seen, you know, comic relief on HBO or have you never seen night of too many stars where they could do some really raunchy stuff and you know, oh yeah, the money goes to like juvenile diabetes. It's okay to go and have a good time and laugh at adult stuff and then know that the money goes to a good cause. You know, we don't all need to be prudish all the time. It's, it's okay to cut loose here and there. Well, um, on that advice, Uh, I'll let you go, but uh, thanks again, and uh, I hope everyone has a good day. Thanks. Thank you.